listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want to uh, suggest a book to you because I'm just going to be going through a few things today that are so very important. And I'm asking the question, are you Pentecostal or not? Are you Pentecostal or what? Um, And a great book, and it's not a big book, but it's great as far as covering these thoughts. Uh, And you need to buy this. If you don't have this book in your library, it needs to be in your library ASAP. Go on Amazon today, or there's probably a Kindle uh, version. I haven't checked uh, because I have the paperback. But if you don't have this book, buy it immediately. It's called Bible Doctrines. Look at that. Come on. Focus it. There we go. Bible Doctrines by P.C. Nelson. If you don't have this book, you need to get it ASAP. Of course, mine looks like an older version, but um, this book is powerful. If you don't know who P.C. Nelson was, this man was not just a spirit-filled believer and preacher. This man was a scholar of scholars, literally. He was a scholar of scholars. Um, He was actually born in Denmark, but... Um, he, he went to Rochester Theological Seminary in New York, but he was, this is a man, PC Nelson. This is a man that was able to read 22 languages, 22 languages. Um, the man had over 30,000 books in his personal library. I mean, he was a, he was a scholar of scholars and, uh, he wrote this book. Um, and it basically it outlines, um, if you have, if you know about the denomination that is, um, uh, the assemblies of God, um, they have what they call their 16, uh, fundamental statement of 16 fundamental truths of what they believe doctrinally. This book kind of outlines the, the, the scriptural basis behind each one of those scriptural truths. And uh, I'm not going to talk about all of them today, but there's a few that are very important. And I understand by the way, that there's some churches that only believe it on paper. Now they don't believe it in practice, but that's why I'm doing a broadcast like this because there is a question. Are you Pentecostal or are you not? Are you Pentecostal or are you not? And so this book here uh, that outlines it, it's, as you can tell, it's not thick, it's not deep, but it'll quickly take you through. One of the things I appreciate about this book is uh, PC Nelson, though he was so intelligent, though he was such a scholar uh, and had all this knowledge Uh, did his devotions in the Greek and in the Hebrew and Aramaic, literally read them, could write them, you know, and and that's how he read the word of God. Um, He was able to put all of these thoughts and all these teachings uh, in a concise way in a book that's not even 130 pages long, that's a five by seven. That's the book right there. Bible Doctrines, I want it focused, there we go. Bible Doctrines by P.C. Nelson. Bible Doctrines by P.C. Nelson. Um, you need to grab it. It needs to be in your library, especially if uh, if you consider yourself to be Pentecostal and you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Good to see Bianca and Bill from uh, Ontario. You need to know not only what you believe, but why you believe it. Why do you believe what you believe? This book will help you because it gives you scriptural backing and scriptural reference as to why we believe 
what we believe as Pentecostals. Another great book, if you've never, um, uh, if you've never heard of it, by by Meyer Perlman. His first name M Y E R Meyer. Last name Perlman, uh, like a pearl on a necklace. Man, Pearl Man. Uh, knowing the doctrines of the Bible, I believe it's called. Knowing the doctrines of the Bible or knowing the doctrines of Scripture, one of the two, by Meyer Perlman. Another phenomenal book just like this. Um, and so in these in these 16 fundamental uh, truths that they believe, and I believe them, obviously, um, we need to cover a couple of these because it's very important that if you're, especially in a time like this, when everybody's you know talking crisis, everybody's in, thank you, Ruth, everybody's in fear, Everybody feels like, you know, it's time to bunker down. I may, I was joking around. My my uncle Tiff posted uh, something on his Instagram account the other day about um, you need to be very wary of people that haven't preached bi- uh, end times Bible prophecy for their entire ministry. And now something like this happens and people are jumping all online, starting to preach Bible, you know, prophecy and end times Bible prophecy, you know, just because something like this is happening and you get into something that's referred to as newspaper prophecy where people are trying to use the, what's going on in the day to define the Bible rather than using the Bible to define what's going on in today. And uh, people get crazy about it. They start trying to make correlations. And, you know, this vaccination that everybody's taking is actually implanting the mark of the beast. You know, it's like, you know, they, they get into crazy stuff. So I, I made a joke on my uncle's Instagram. And when he said that, you need trusted sources that have been studying and preaching Bible prophecy for their entire ministry. And I agree with him. And I went on there and in all capital letters, I wrote, we're in the tribulation right now. <laughs> and people think like that. It's because they don't know what they believe. They don't know why they believe what they believe. And so it's important to know. In fact, the apostle Peter wrote in his first letter, in the third chapter, that we need to be ready to give an answer. In fact, let's turn there to those that have a question regarding uh, what we believe or the hope that lies within us. First Peter um, chapter three. Listen to this. This is first Peter 3:15. But even or it says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, the opposite of how most people do it on Facebook today. You know, calling people names, making fun, using sarcasm, all of that. Do it with gentleness and respect. If people have a true question about why you believe what you believe, Peter commanded us by the Holy Spirit to be able to be ready to make a defense for what you believe. And if you want to know what the um, the actual technical term for that is apologetics, it's the study of apologetics. It's being able to define why you believe what you believe and make a defense or give an answer for why you believe what you believe. If somebody came to you and said, do you really believe you know, that, that God is still healing people today? I mean, do you really believe in miracles? Do you believe that God is, is a healer and that that's still happening you can't just say, well, yeah. And if they say, well, why, why do you believe that? You know, you can't say, well, uh, you know, because I, th- I think my church believes it. That's not an answer. My church believes it or my mom believed it. 
You know, I think that's just what our denomination believes. That's not an answer. And that won't bring you breakthrough either because you don't truly know the truth. Knowing the truth is being able to go to the word and explain why do I believe in divine healing? Why is it for me? Why is it for today? Why has it not passed away? Why has it not ceased? Why is it still in operation? You've got to be able to go to the word of God and know why do I believe that God is still a healer today and his miracle working power is still available right now. And this is important in the time we're living in. You got people who are, you know, quote, quote unquote, Pentecostal or will include charismatic by name, but not by action and not by practice. And that's why I asked the question the way I did. Are you Pentecostal or what? I mean, I want to ask that to some people. Are you Pentecostal or what? And so I want to define some things today with you. I want to define some things and I'm not going to touch on all of these things because it's too much to do in one broadcast. Um, I'm not going to touch on the one true God. I'm not going to touch on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe, I would hope you know that there's one true God. I hope you believe that Jesus Christ was the, was God in the flesh. I would hope you believe that. I would hope you believe that the, in the fall of man, that Adam sinned and brought sin into the world. Uh, I hope you believe in salvation. You know, I'm not going to get into the doctrine of salvation today and whether it's uh, a reformed view or, you know, a uh, uh, the reformers believe that you had nothing to do with your salvation, which of course I don't believe and would hope you don't believe that as a Pentecostal, but, um, uh, the ordinance of the church, I'm not going to get into that, but I'm going to get into the basics. In fact, there was a denomination that was called the four square church. It's still around today and it's called the four square church. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important to understand the, the, those fundamental doctrines because, so I just want to touch on a few of them today, but I want to touch on a few that are very important in regards to the fact, are you Pentecostal or are you not? You know, you, you have to make up in your mind. If I believe these things, I'm going to live this way. If I believe these things, I'm going to live this way. And so I want to talk about, uh, uh, um, I want to talk about, why that's important. Labanita asks on YouTube, are newborn babies sinners? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But do I believe God judges them um, as newborn babies, as sinners? The answer to that is no, I don't. And the scriptural reference as to why I believe that is to the, the point where David's, the King David's child dies, baby dies. And after they tell him that the baby is dead, after he's been fasting and believing for turnaround, after they tell him that, he cleans himself up and stops mourning and basically says, I will see him again. David said that. And of course, all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And David said, I will see him again. So the baby died, but David was sure that he would see his child again. And that's because I don't believe, of course, Paul went into teaching on that, that when the law came, uh, it took away his innocence and he became uh, somebody who knew what he was doing and doing it wrong. So I do believe in an age of accountability. And I do believe that God judges babies and, and infants and everything differently than he does those to who have understanding about uh, the instructions of, of, but remember this, once a person becomes old enough to reason, this is important to know. 
You can't say, you can't then make the argument, well, if somebody doesn't know the Lord or doesn't know about the Bible, it would be better for us not to tell them so that they can all go to heaven. It doesn't work like that. Because Paul made the argument in Romans chapter one that there's no excuse for not knowing God. That just in creation, he's made himself known enough that you can't deny that there is a God. Paul makes that argument by the Holy Spirit. If just looking at nature and creation is enough evidence to to never be able to deny that there is a creator. And so you can't use the argument, well, if people never hear it, then we should keep it from them so that they can go to heaven. doesn't work that way. You get to an age where you can reason with your mind and you have logical ability and capability and a conscience, and you cannot use that uh, argument to say, uh, well, those that never heard the gospel just went to heaven. That's not true. They go to hell. That's why the church is tasked with preaching the gospel to the world. But we serve a God of mercy and a God of love. And uh, that's why the Bible teaches us, and we see it there by David's own confession, that if his baby passed away, he said, I will see him again. And so it's important to know that. Uh, But I want to get into these. Just a couple of things, really two or three things that I really, really want you to be strong with today. And that is number one. Okay, if you are a Pentecostal, then number one, you have got to not only believe in but activate the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the definition of Pentecostal belief. Pentecostal meaning that they hold the belief of what took place on the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost, by the way, was a feast held by the Jews every year, Pentecost. And that's why all of those Jews were gathered in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, because it was actually a Jewish feast day and still is. And so the believers were in the upper room, but all of those Jews were in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast day. That's why they were all there to hear them speaking in tongues and hear the gospel message. But on that day of Pentecost, the Bible says 120 of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. One of the things you'll find in this book, and of course, he's teaching it from scripture. It's not just from this book. He's showing it to you from scripture that the initial evidence that someone has been filled with the Holy Spirit is that they speak with other tongues. That is the initial sign. It is the initial evidence to say, why why is that? You know, people say, well, can I be filled with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues? Not according to the Bible, not according to the book of Acts, because in every place, and and I'll show you this because it's interesting, in every place that somebody um, is filled with the Spirit, we have actual evidence from written scripture or implied evidence that they spoke with other tongues. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, they were all in the upper room and the Bible says, uh, and they all began to speak with other tongues and prophesy as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so first thing that happened, all of the believers that showed up and obeyed the command of Jesus to wait in Jerusalem until they're filled with power from on high, what happened? First thing that took place, they began to speak with other tongues as they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And then you go on further and you can go to uh, Acts chapter 8. Now, this is the one I was referencing where we say we have implied evidence because Acts chapter 8 is the only time that we see believers all filled with the Holy Spirit, but the Bible doesn't specifically say that they spoke with other tongues. However, what it does say is this, and I want you to think about it. 
all of the city of Samaria that's hearing Philip preach, they see the signs, wonders, and miracles. They believe in the name of Jesus and they're converted. They're saved. Well, as soon as they heard that, as soon as they uh, knew that the, that the city had been converted, saved, what happened? They called to Jerusalem and had Peter and John come to Samaria. What were they there to do? To get those new believers filled with the Holy Ghost. And so they laid their hands on all the new believers and the Bible tells us, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues in that passage. However, Simon the sorcerer was there and the Bible says that he saw them being filled with the Holy Spirit. The question you've got to ask yourself is, isn't that an inward spiritual work? If someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, can you see it? Can you see it happen? No, you just see a sign of it. No one can see the Holy Spirit in me. I can't see the Holy Spirit in you. So what was it that Simon the sorcerer saw on that day that allowed him to know they just got filled with the Holy Ghost? He must have seen an outward evidence of an inward work. He must have seen, because we know as soon as he saw it, hey, they're getting filled with the Holy Ghost. What did he try to do? Tried to purchase that power from the apostles. He tried to buy it with money and they rebuked him and told him to uh, repent because that was uh, evil. That was an evil desire because he used to be a sorcerer and he used to amaze the people of Samaria with his magic. And that pride that he had, he, he did not defeat that pride. And so he wanted to do the same thing again. Let me buy that power so I can use it. Well, what was he seeing? He was seeing an outward evidence of an inward work. And of course, if you compare scripture with scripture, we know that it must have been and had to have been them speaking in tongues. It couldn't have been anything else. It had to have been them speaking in tongues. Move on to Acts chapter 10. Peter goes to Cornelius's house uh, as he's prompted by the angel. And uh, the Lord already showed him in a vision. It's not just Jews that can receive the gospel and the spirit, but Gentiles as well. And so he goes to Cornelius's house and begins to preach unto them. And as he's preaching to the crowd, the Bible says, as they're listening, they receive not only Jesus, but they all begin to speak with other tongues and prophesy as he's preaching. And the Jews are like, oh, I can't believe this. Look, they're receiving the same thing we received on the day of Pentecost they're referring to. They received, they're receiving the same thing we received. And it blew their mind because they were Gentiles. And they're thinking, I can't. And that's when Peter spoke up in Acts 10, 34 and said, I can clearly see that God is no respecter of persons. That's the context, by the way, of what Peter was saying in that verse. He was saying, I can now see that God's not reserving salvation in the Holy Spirit for the Jews. He's not respecting us based upon our bloodline. He's actually pouring it out upon all flesh as he, he himself preached on the day of Pentecost. You know, Peter's the one that stood up and started to quote the prophet Joel. This is that, that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And now he's seeing it happen in Acts chapter 10. Italian, an Italian family, an Italian band led by Cornelius, it was his household, receives not only salvation, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they all begin to speak with other tongues and prophesy. And so there, 
Same thing happened. The initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues and prophecy. As they began to speak with other tongues, it was a sign that they had received it. Then in Acts chapter 19, Paul, the apostle, goes to Ephesus, which is now modern day Turkey. And as he's there, he meets 12 men that he are disciples. And he asked them, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Important point here, by the way, for people that argue, well, you know, everybody that's saved has the Holy Spirit. Everybody that's saved is not baptized in the Holy Spirit as Jesus wanted them to be on the day of Pentecost. It's not true. And if, if it was true, why would Paul ask these men, have you received the Holy Spirit since you became a believer? What was the point? If, if it was true, by the way, don't forget all scriptures inspired by God. What Paul said, what Paul wrote, what Paul did, and of course, Acts was written by Luke, who, who was a, a physician, and took great care to detail things. And so if Paul already knew that this was true, that when you get saved, you automatically have the Holy Spirit, why would he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, ask these men if they've received the Holy Spirit since they became a believer? Because he understood it is a subsequent experience to salvation. Paul understood it's a sub, it happens after. Now, it can happen at the time of salvation. Obviously, it can. It's what was happening at Cornelius' house. They got saved, and immediately they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Of course, it can happen at the time of salvation. But in order, salvation must happen first. As Jesus said, I can't put new wine into old wineskins. They would burst. So he has to save you before he fills you with his Holy Spirit, or else it would be detrimental to you as a person. You, an unregenerated body cannot handle the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You need a new wineskin before you have new wine. And so Paul asked them in Acts 19, have you received the, the Holy Spirit since you believed? You know what their answer was? We've not even heard there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then what baptism were you baptized with? And they said, well, John's baptism. Well, he said, no, no, that's just baptism in water. And then he preached the gospel to the men. And the Bible says, and immediately they were baptized in the name of Jesus. That means they got saved. They truly were regenerated. And so after they were saved, what did Paul do immediately? The Bible says Paul laid his hands on all 12 men and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And that is, once again, the initial sign and the initial proof that somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what the Bible says, Acts 19, verse 6. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and, the, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And verse 7, there were about 12 men in all. So notice that once they got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Paul didn't say, well, you know, that's enough. Now that you've been saved, you've got the Holy Spirit. He didn't say that. What did he do? Took an extra step to lay his hands on the believers and get them filled with the Holy Spirit. Same thing they did in Acts chapter eight when they got saved. Call Peter and John to lay their hands on these men. Get them filled with the Holy Ghost. And they all were filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice this, Paul himself, 
Paul, the apostle, after his conversion, was filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul was. And notice this. We know that Paul spoke with tongues and that that was an evidence in his own life because how do we know? Well, he said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 14, I speak in tongues more than all of you do. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 14. I speak in tongues more than all of you do. And so Paul, who was clearly filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, said himself that I practice this more than all of you do. And so understand that. It was an evidence in Paul's life. It was an evidence in Peter's life. It was an evidence in the life of the 120. It was an evidence in the life of all those in Samaria, Philip, everybody that was saved. The Bible says the next step that the apostles always took was to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it is the desire of Jesus Christ for every believer to have the subsequent experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. Of course, we know speaking in tongues is not the main reason you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us the reason for baptism in the Holy Ghost in the first chapter of Acts. What does he say? He says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. And then he talks about the places. The reason you get filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with power from on high. It's what happened to Jesus. In Luke chapter three, the Bible says that he was uh, baptized by John in the Jordan River, the John the Baptist. And as he came up out of the water, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ. And then Luke chapter four and verse one tells us, Jesus was led by the spirit, full of the spirit into the wilderness. So Luke four, one tells us Jesus got filled with the Holy Ghost. And notice after his time of prayer and fasting, what happened to Jesus? The Bible says in Luke 4, 14, he returned from the wilderness in the power of the spirit. And so the power of the spirit was upon Christ. And what happened? What was the result? That power caused him to begin to work miracles, signs, and wonders as the proof he was the Messiah. It would not and could not happen until he got filled with power from on high. Power is the reason you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Tongues is the evidence. It is a blessing. It comes with being filled with the Spirit, as do any of the nine gifts of the Spirit. But you receive it for the purpose of power, to be empowered to do the works. Let me just show you something. Go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Gospel of John, chapter 14. Now, I want you to see this with me. Notice what Jesus says to his disciples regarding this power. I'm asking the question today, are you Pentecostal or what? I mean, are we going to be in this time of crisis, in this time of national fear, uh, national panic, international panic? Are you The people that I've seen running around with fear blows my mind, and they claim to be Pentecostal, spirit-filled, on-fire believers for God, and they're running around in fear, talking fear posting fear on Facebook, posting it on Instagram, posting it on Twitter, literally walking in pure fear and calling it wisdom. <laughs> and it's like someone said yesterday, Juan put in, he said, I saw somebody putting uh, Proverbs 22, three up. 
as the proof that we should walk in quote-unquote wisdom during this time, brother, has nothing to do with your redemptive covenant or the power that's on the inside of you. So using scripture out of context does not uh, negate the fact that you should be walking in dominion, authority, and power. No question about it. No question about it. And so uh, Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 12, listen to this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And even greater works than these will he do because I'm going to be with the Father. I want you to understand why that's important. Because Jesus went on to say, go to verse 16, John 14, 16. He said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. One translation says advocate, another says counselor, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying that when I go to be with the Father, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And when I do, you'll be empowered to do the works that I have done. Uh, Billion, I don't, I don't understand what you're asking. Are you talking about a denominational cultural definition or biblical or both. Uh, please define that question because I'm not quite sure what you're asking. This has nothing to do with denominations other than there are certain denominations that believe what the word of God says and there are other denominations that they they disbelieve what it says. They don't operate by it. They don't believe it's for today. When there's nowhere in the Bible that teaches that these things are not for today. They use a verse of scripture out of context. A Pentecostal is uh, it's it's not a denomination, although there are Pentecostal denominations. It is uh, an experience of being filled with the power of the Holy Ghost and operating in the power of God as the Bible teaches we should as believers. Being Pentecostal, there are, pe- like for example, the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, the Church of God in Christ, the UPC, the IPHC. These are denominations that would consider themselves to be Pentecostal denominations, although they differ on certain belief systems and church government, but they believe themselves to be Pentecostal in experience. They speak with tongues. They believe in laying their hands on the sick and seeing them recover. They believe in the gifts of the spirit, the charismatic gifts. So it's not just a denomination. There are multiple denominations that consider themselves Pentecostal, but Pentecostal is a state of being and practice. It's what I am it, because I've received the power of the Holy Spirit as a believer, and now I'm empowered to do the work of Christ. And of, as you see, that was Christ's desire all along. All of my followers who obey me will go and will wait in Jerusalem until they're filled with power. That was the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit that was released from heaven. And isn't it interesting to you that even in Jesus' day, there were people who weren't interested in being filled with the Holy Ghost? What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 15? After Jesus' resurrection, he showed himself to over 500 of his followers at one time. He showed him, so that shows you that there were more. By the time Jesus ascended into heaven, there were far more than 120 believers on the earth. Because before his ascension, he showed himself to more than 500 of his followers at one time. So we know there were even more than that, I'm sure. 
But that was that was who saw his resurrected body. And then that was his that was his own. <clears throat> I'll deal with that, Tammy, in a moment. What's the difference between power and authority when it comes to tongues? Um, when we get to uh, the place of his ascension, we know there were over 500 people that were his followers. And he said for all of his followers to go and wait in Jerusalem till they got filled with power. Well, all 500 didn't go, did they? Who showed up? Only 120 of the 500 we know of. So that shows you that uh, that not everybody was interested back, even back then in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as there's many today that don't care about it. But it is God's desire to fill you with power to do the work of the Lord. And so let me uh, let me answer this question next. Um, Tammy said, uh, what's the difference between power and authority when it comes to tongues? Power truly is the authority of God to do the work of God. It is the authority of God to do the work of God. You can't, with your own physical hands, hold back a demon or pull a demon out of somebody's body. It is the ability to have the authority of God at your disposal. And that's what God's talking about through Christ when he says you'll receive power, even by the speaking of your word. It's it's like, I love how Brother Hagin gave this uh, analogy uh, back when he was still uh, alive and, and teaching. He, he talked about the difference between power and authority. He said, if you look at a police officer that's standing at a, pl- at a crossroads where the, the stoplights went out and they're not working and he's directing traffic, Brother Hagin said, well, you look at that police officer and if he wanted to, he could not put his hands on the hood of your vehicle and push it back into place if you were sitting there deciding, I'm not going to listen to the police officer. I'm just going to hit the gas and I'm going to go right on through the intersection. Well, he doesn't have the power to put his hands on your car and push it back into the place where it's supposed to be. But what does he have? The authority has been given to him. And so if you look at the chain of command through your state, uh, you know, and of course you have your governor and it goes all the way down and the, and the police officers and the, those that have been deputized to speak. Notice that the governor doesn't have to come and stand at the intersection in order for people to obey the authority. Notice that the mayor of the city doesn't have to come stand at the intersection so people will obey the authority. They have delegated their authority. And when those officers of the law are deputized, they are deputized and given that authority to speak on behalf of state government. So what do they do? They're able to uh, uphold the law by that authority that's been given to them or vested in them. So what do they do? They stand at an intersection. All they've got to do is hold their hand out. All they have to do is blow a whistle and hold their hand out and people stop at the line until the cop begins to wave his hand, say, come on through. And then people move. That's authority, not power. It's authority. And so if you study in the original language, there actually is a difference in the word in the Greek between power and authority. There is a major difference. And in fact, I'll, I'll show it to you right now. Um, it's in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, as Jesus is teaching. Um, this is an interesting, because it says it twice. And in the English, in the English Bible, if you just read it the way it was translated, especially in the King James, you, you might be a little confused as to power versus authority. But I want you to see this, Luke 10, 19. And I like the fact that I'm, as I'm using the ESV, it actually translates it accurately 
in the English language. Good morning, Ted and Ashley. Love you. I like that the ESV translates it accurately in the English language. In the King James and maybe the New King James, I'm not sure, uh, the verse reads like this. Behold, I've given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. Well, that's not what the original language actually said. It doesn't actually say power twice. It actually says, if you read, and this is the ESV and it's what the Greek says. It says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So here in one verse of scripture, you can see um, with the the same in in the same verse uh, as the King James may may translate it power twice. The actual two words uh, base words in the Greek are exousia, which is authority, and uh, dunamis. And of course, they're in different forms because of the context. But exousia and dunamis in the Greek language. Exousia meaning authority. Dunamis meaning power. Dunamis means power. And so what what God is uh, saying through Christ to the disciples is, today I'm giving you authority, delegated authority over all of the actual powers of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. So to answer the uh, question that you had, Tammy, um, the the chief of police is the best. It's it's definitely, uh, oh, he is the chief of police. Look how the Holy Spirit works. That's amazing. And so, and by the way, thank you for your service. I appreciate you serving your community and serving the nation. We love and pray for all of our police officers. And so you understand that that's, that's how it works. Delegated authority is given unto you over the powers of the enemy. I give unto you all authority. So when we speak, that's, you know, what's interesting is that that's what, uh, that's what the, um, if you look at the story in Matthew chapter eight, where the centurion soldier came to Jesus and said, my servant is at home sick with palsy. And Jesus was willing to go and heal him. He said, I'll come to your house and heal him. He said, you don't need to do that. He said, uh, I've noticed that you're a man of authority. Just like me, when I speak to my soldiers and tell them to come, they come. When I tell them go, they go. He said, you're like that too, but in the spirit. So speak the word only and my servant shall be made whole. Speak the word only. That's right, Kristen. That's in the book by Brother Hagin called The Believer's Authority. Another book that I suggest every person watching buy. It's called The Believer's Authority. You need to get that book. Karen, everybody watching. If you don't have it, buy it. It's another one of those small books, but it's worth having. I think you can even get the digital version. Get it today. The Believer's Authority. God has used that book around the world to help people. I've already defined Pentecostal, whoever that is on Periscope. You'll have to go back and watch the rest of the broadcast. So um, it will it's, it's opened people's eyes around the world to spiritual authority. And you need to understand because it is important to have and understand uh, spiritual authority. And so understand this today. When you become a Pentecostal, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, Christ said you'll receive power to do the work of that he's called you to do and that he was doing. And the work that he himself could not even do until he got filled with power. In Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4, we see the proof of it. So understand, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as salvation. It is a, a, a subsequent experience that empowers you for the work God's called you to do. 
You read Mark 16, you say, and they'll lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. Well, what empowers you to lay hands on the sick and watch them to recover? It is the power of the Holy Ghost. Did you ever notice Jesus laid his hands on no sick people until he got filled with the Holy Ghost? There were no healings in the ministry of Jesus There were no deliverances, no demons were cast out, no miracles took place until he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Same with the apostles. He breathed upon them. He gave them power before the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, so that they could follow him and do his works while he was on the earth. He breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And so understand, and it doesn't mean you can't. La Bonita. It's a it's a free gift for every believer. It is not sovereignly uh, divided and picked and chosen by God who will have it and who won't. It's a free. If it wasn't a free gift for every believer, then Jesus would not have instructed every believer that was alive at the time go wait in Jerusalem. Notice. Let me just give you some. Let me let me give you some encouraging word here. Is that when in Acts chapter eight. When Philip saw all those people getting saved in Samaria, what did he do? He called for Peter and John to come and lay their hands on them to get filled with the Holy Ghost. When Peter and John arrived, they didn't sit there and say, now let's just see by the Spirit, which one of these here in Samaria does the Lord want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? No. In every passage in Acts, when people got filled with the Holy Ghost, they all got filled. Acts 2, all of them were filled. Acts 8, all of them were filled. Acts 10, all of them were filled. Acts 19, all of them were filled. It's God's desire for all believers. Just because some don't have it doesn't mean God doesn't want them to have it. It's for everybody. Kenneth E. Hagin wrote the Believer's Authority, Bonnie. Kenneth E. Hagin, H-A-G-I-N. Somebody put it in the comments for uh, Miss Bonnie. Kenneth Hagin, get it ASAP. And so understand, a Pentecostal believes in the power of the Holy Ghost. We believe that we're filled with power. That's why I wrote this book, Blood on the Door. It is from a Pentecostal standpoint. How can I believe that things lesser than me can destroy me? How can I believe that things with less authority and less power than I have can destroy me? I'm filled with the greater one. He's on the inside of me. How can weaker things destroy greater things? It can't happen. I said it can't happen. How can a weaker, you know, It's like somebody showing up. Can you imagine your life being threatened because someone pulled out a water pistol and pointed at you and it was full of water? This is loaded. And if you don't don't give me all your money, I will pull the trigger. Well, you're not going to sit there and fear for your life. Why? Because water might come out of the gun, but it doesn't matter if it hits your skin, hits your body, because your body is stronger than water. Water's, that water's not going to pierce your skin and destroy the organs of your body and kill you when it comes out of a water pistol. It does that. It, why would I be afraid of something that's lesser than me? I'm not going to be afraid of it. Viruses are lesser than me. Bacteria is lesser than me. Cancer cells are lesser than me. Understand that they're lesser than you. They don't have the power you have. They don't have the authority you have. Why should I be afraid? of something that has less power than me. I refuse. I refuse to be afraid of it. Why? I have a Pentecostal understanding that I'm filled with the power of Almighty God. He lives in me. He dwells in me, makes his home in me. Paul had to remind the church in Corinth. He had to remind the church in Corinth, do do you not know 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Literally, the Holy Spirit of God lives in your body. I quoted it to you yesterday. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he shall quicken, make alive, startle your mortal body. Now think about it logically. The same spirit that raised a dead man to life is powerful enough to destroy a virus. I mean, get real. Get real. Seriously. We're, we're to believe, we're supposed to believe Jesus was dead for three days and that spirit came into the tomb and every function of his body that had been inactive for three days came back to perfect working order in one moment when the Holy Spirit raised him. And I'm supposed to believe that I have to fear a virus when a dead man who had no heartbeat, who had no organs functioning, no brain activity, you know, nothing was working in his body for three days and he was shaken back to life by the Holy Ghost. And I'm supposed to be worried about a little virus. I'm supposed to be worried about bacteria. I'm supposed to be worried about little cancer cells. When the, a dead man was raised up, should have been a vegetable when he came back because his brain had no oxygen for three days. And he came back in perfect working order. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a life-giving spirit. What am I supposed to be afraid of? What are you supposed to be afraid of? Are you kidding me? That's why I'm asking the question, are you Pentecostal or what? Are you Pentecostal or what? Do you believe in the power of God or what? I'm asking because I need to know what in the world is going on and going through some people's mind. Are you Pentecostal or what? What is going on in people's minds that they're afraid of something lesser than them? How can I be afraid? How can I be afraid? It's like if I saw a little chihuahua baring its teeth at me and and snarling and barking, this little chihuahua sitting on the sidewalk. Am I going to go and run for the hills? If that thing gets a hold of me, I'm dead meat. No, are you kidding me? Some little chihuahua baring its teeth, Barry, it better not charge me. And I love dogs, but it better not charge me because it'll catch a boot. (laughs) I'm not afraid that I'm going to be killed by something lesser than me. How can I be afraid? How can I be afraid? How can you be afraid? Uh, We got to answer the question. Are we Pentecostal or what? Or what? Same spirit that dwelled, that raised Jesus dwells in you. That's it, Stephen. I am Pentecostal. I am Pentecostal. That's right. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's will for every believer. That's right. Let them call you crazy, Caleb. He said, everybody calls me crazy for saying I'm not afraid because I got the power of Jesus. Let them call you crazy. You're not going to be the one admitted to the hospital. You understand what I'm saying? Let them mock you. Let them make fun of you. They made made fun of Jesus. They made fun of the disciples. They've made fun of the early church fathers. They've made fun of people all through the ages for believing in the power of God. Let them mock. Let the heathen rage, the Bible says. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Why would I care about the opinions of dead people when I'm alive? Think about that for a minute. Why would I care about the opinions of dead people when I'm alive? Do you remember the last time that you walked through a graveyard hoping that nobody in the tombs thought your uh, outfit looked silly? I hope this matches. I hope hope none of these people look at me and think that this outfit doesn't, you know, this shirt doesn't quite fit me. I, you know, I've gained a little weight. I hope none of these people think I look uh, too big in this. They're dead. 
Who cares? They don't have an opinion. They're gone. When did the believer's authority is the name of the book, the believer's authority. Why would I care? Why would living people care about the opinions of dead people? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I'm supposed to govern what I do as a believer because of what a sinner thinks about what I'm saying. Are you kidding me? That I'm supposed, well, you know, it's like, give me a break. Give me a break. <laughs> Lions don't care about the opinions of monkeys. Lions don't care about the opinions of monkeys. Put it in the comments. Lions don't care about the opinions of monkeys. I want you to put it in the comments section because that'll be something you should take with you for the rest of your life. Lions don't care about the opinions of monkeys. And you're a lion as a child of God. You're a lion. Think about this. You are a lion because of the power of Christ. That's right. Write it in the comments. Lions don't care about the opinions of monkeys. The Bible says, you know, how can you be Christ, which I taught yesterday, you are Christ. You're the body of Christ. You're him. You're in him. You are him. You came from him. How can he be the lion of Judah and you not also be a lion? How can he be a lion and you not be a lion? If you are part of his body, I've never, this isn't Greek mythology where it's the head of a lion and the body of an eagle and the, you know, the feet of an elephant, you know, he can't be a lion and you not be a lion. If Christ is a lion, his body is a lion. And the Bible says it in Proverbs 28, one, the wicked run away when nobody's chasing them, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why? The lion's anointing is in us. The lion's anointing is in us. If Christ is a lion, you're a lion. And lions don't care about the opinions of monkeys. They don't care. There's no lion stalking through the jungle hoping monkeys think they look good. When the lion comes through, everything else moves out of the way. Hear me when I say that. The Bible actually teaches that, by the way. It's Proverbs chapter 30. I'll read it to you. Proverbs chapter 30. When a lion comes through, everything else moves out of the way. The Bible says the lion, which is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back before any. Nothing makes the lion turn back. Nothing makes him turn around and run in fear. The lion, he takes down elephants, he takes down rhinos, he takes down gazelles, he takes down monkeys, he takes down everybody. That's why he's the king of the jungle. He may not be the biggest, but he's the baddest. And lions don't concern themselves with the opinions of monkeys. Don't have to. They're the king of beasts, and you're a lion, and you should not care about the opinions of dead monkeys. Don't get all shaken up because somebody mocks your faith and mocks what you believe. Who are they? What have they ever done? Have they ever been raised from the dead? Well, then who cares what they have to say? (laughs) By the way, 
case you didn't know, the resurrection of Christ is a provable historical event. It's not just myth or legend or something only Christians believe. It's a provable, historical, verifiable fact. I don't, have to time, I don't have the time to do the rest of this broadcast on that. Maybe I'll take a whole broadcast and do it one day. The resurrection of Jesus is not mythology. It's not a legend. It's not a story. It's verifiable. Do you know there's more proof that Jesus was raised from the dead than Julius Caesar existed as a person? We have more we have more evidence from antiquity that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead than the fact Julius Caesar existed in real life as a person. However, they teach Julius Caesar in universities all over America and around the world, and then they mock people that believe Jesus is alive. We have more historical evidence from archaeology and antiquity for the fact that Jesus was raised than we do many other things in antiquity. So I'm not sitting around here talking legends and myth. Jesus is alive and he was raised from the dead, which means my faith will never be in vain. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm Pentecostal. I have the power of God living on the inside of me and so do you. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, so do you. I know we've kind of gone. It's almost, I can't believe it's almost 12 o'clock. Now, let me, let me get through these other two really quickly. Number, number two. Not just, are you Pentecostal or what? Number two, we're talking about divine healing. One of the things covered in this book, Bible Doctrines, is what we believe from Scripture on divine healing. We believe in it. We believe it's still for today, by the way. We believe it's still for today. I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit ceased in his work after the last apostle of the Lamb died. I don't believe that. And nowhere does the Bible teach it. And no, nowhere does the Bible teach it. In fact, um, I'll tell you an interesting book to read, and you don't have to get this one, but let me just quote it to you. Um, there was a man by the name of Dr. Jack Deere, and uh, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas, and uh, which, by the way, is an extremely Reformed school. You can't believe in the Holy Spirit and his infilling baptism there. You can't believe in speaking in tongues there. You have to sign a paper that says you don't believe in it and don't practice it. But extremely reformed school. Uh, they're cessationists by practice and belief and doctrine. They, they don't believe in anything I'm teaching today. They're not Pentecostal. They're reformed uh, Calvinists. And um, he was a professor at that seminary and, and literally came to the place in his life where he realized, he says this in his book, and his book is called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit by Dr. Jack Deere. Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. He said, I, real, I came to the place in my life where I realized I'm doing the thing I tell my students never to do. I'm doing the thing I tell my students never to do, which is to read the Bible with presupposition. Going in with my own thoughts and then trying to prove my thoughts by reading the scripture. And so he said he realized that about cessationism. And he said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'll read through the New Testament with no presupposition, with no uh, man-made idea that's been taught to me by other people. I'll just go in fresh and see how I feel at the end of, of weighing scripture hermeneutically and coming out the other side. How do I feel about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the continuationist uh, theories and beliefs of the Holy Spirit? He came out on the other side. You know what his quote was? No logical thinking person can read through the New Testament and come out the other side a cessationist. That was his quote. A man who was a reformed professor for many years, 
uh, Jack Deere, D-E-E-R-E, Dr. Jack Deere, surprised by the power of the Spirit. He said, no logical thinking person can come through the New Testament, read it with a logical mind, and come out the other end a cessationist. You have to believe that the power of God is still continuing and moving today. It did not cease. It did not stop when the last apostle died. Here's a question. If only the 12 apostles had that, had that power and ability to do the work of Christ, how did 70 return to Jesus and say, even the demons are subject unto us? How, how in the world? How in the world did 70 return? How did 120 get filled with the Holy Ghost? How did the early church begin to expand and do the work of Christ? What happened? Do you think it was like in one of those superhero movies where like when the when the leader dies, all of his minions just like disintegrate and lose their power? No, no, that's craziness. No logical thinking person, no intelligent person without presupposition can read the New Testament and, and come out cessationist on the other side. We believe in divine healing. It's why we lay our hands on the sick. And listen, your faith should never be based on Anything I do or something that happened in somebody's ministry or the experience in somebody else that somebody else had, your, uh, your, your faith should never be based in that. The experiences of men, someone's story, someone's, but it should be based in the word of God, what the word of God teaches. But let me just say as a testimony to you, and you know this, I'm sure we've seen so many healing miracles in just the short almost 20 years that I've been ministering. We've seen so many healing miracles. We've seen deaf ears come open. We've seen blind eyes come open. We've seen diseases healed. We've seen people delivered from drug addiction. I've seen so many miracles. That's just in my ministry. Then seeing my father's ministry and other men of God, I've seen so many miracles, instantaneous, documentable miracles. Brain tumors disappear. We had one in that happened in... Um, Massachusetts, a young girl that I prayed for, she had a brain tumor. It was actually checked and verified by the Boston Children's Hospital with MRIs. We could see it. I have it. I keep it on my phone, both sets of MRIs. I see the one where she had the brain tumor. And then after we prayed for her, God touched her, healed a nerve disease that she had and removed the tumor. She went back to the hospital. They did more MRIs. Not only was the nerve disease gone, the tumor was gone from her brain. And I keep the MRI pictures on my phone just in case somebody likes to say, well, miracles don't happen today. Oh, really? Because here's a documented, verifiable miracle by the Boston Children's Hospital, which is not some, you know, no-name place that's just throwing out reports that aren't, you know, people are crazy. I will say this, uh, Juan. Juan's asking, what's been the greatest, biggest divine healing that you've seen or experienced? That, that one I gave the other day, if you were watching, I know Murray Shanu's on right now from First Nations up in outside of uh, uh, Sarnia, Ontario, the First Nations Reserve, um, the Ojibwe. We, when my father sent his, uh, set his tent up on the Ojibwe Reserve a few years ago, and uh, a, a couple came in that their baby was born with no uh, genitalia. My father called them out by the power of God and gave them a word that God was healing their baby. They brought the baby was there. They were standing outside the tent with the stroller. The baby was in the stroller. That night when they went back and changed the baby's diaper, God had formed, fully formed male genitalia on the baby. 
And they, I mean, it freaked them out. And I think the husband came back the next night and got saved. The wife was already saved. Pastor Murray said, but the husband came back and gave his heart to the Lord. Let me tell you, that's a, that's a creative divine miracle. When you see a baby born with no genitalia and come back the next day, God formed full male genitalia on the baby. Super natural. I've seen cancer healed. I've seen, I mean, all kinds of things, blood disease, lung disease, all kinds of things. He's a healer. Now, my, our faith is not based in the experiences of men. Watch this. If I never saw any miracles take place, I would still preach he's a healer because the Bible says he's a healer. It's based on the written word of God, not on the experiences of men. Whether someone gets healed or doesn't get healed has nothing to do with whether I believe he's a healer or not. I believe he's a healer because, and there's Pastor Murray verifying it there, Murray Shanu on Facebook saying truth. He was there. He remembers. Power of God fell. It's based on the written word of Almighty God and not upon the experiences of men, whether someone did get it or didn't get it. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? So if you're Pentecostal, believe in divine healing. You need to believe in divine healing and you need to practice it. You need to lay your hands on the sick if you believe it. You know what? I'm teaching my children that. You know, my children are being trained. You know, that if they say, well, we don't feel good. I, you know, uh, my, my stomach hurts or my head hurts, whatever it might be that they say. You know what they ask now because we've trained them? They don't say, mom, where's the, can we get a kid's aspirin? Mom, can I get an aspirin? Can I, that's not what they say. You know what they do? They'll come to, to Carol, they'll come to me. Dad, mom, lay your hands on me and pray. I don't feel good. Lay your hands on me and pray. What are we training them? So that now they do it on their own. We're training them to understand. <laughs> We're training them to understand that we go to God first. He is our source of healing. We go to him first. Why? We're Pentecostal in experience and belief. We believe in a divine healer. We have relationship with a divine healer. Why do I need to go to something lesser when I have access to something greater? Luenda's saying, I've seen a foot growing by the power of God. Carolyn, if you're watching, what was it Teddy said the other day? Uh, if you can type it in the comments, Teddy said something the other day. He was telling Carolyn, <laughs> and I, I wish I could remember the exact thing. He said, I don't, mom, I don't feel good. We were driving somewhere. And he was, mom, I don't feel good. Uh, and he said, so we pray. Carolyn prays the prayer of healing, prayer of faith over him. And he goes, I mean, it's all kids know. And uh, he goes, did it work? Am I healed? And she said, yes, you are. And he went, wow, I feel better. Thank God. <laughs> Carolyn might remember the exact exchange, but he was like, did it work? Do I feel better? Yeah. Carolyn said, let me think how he put it. But he, that's basically what he said. It was like, did it work? Am I better? Am I healed? And she said, yes, yes, you are. And he said, I, I feel better. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I love it. I love it. Teaching the young children to believe what the word of God says. He's a healer. He never stopped being a healer. He never stopped being a healer. He said in the book of Malachi, I'm the Lord, your God. I do not change. I do not change. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13 is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, eight. So understand he doesn't, he said, yeah, I don't feel bad anymore. You understand he doesn't change. He's the same that he's always been. He was a healer in the old Testament. He's a healer in the new Testament. He's a healer today. He doesn't change. And if you're Pentecostal, start stepping up and believe in Pentecostal things and practicing them. If you believe in healing, then step up for divine healing. If you're a pastor watching and you're in one of these denominations that's backing off of these Pentecostal doctrines, stand up and be the one 
in your denomination that still practices them, that still lays hands on the sick, that still speaks in tongues and still has tongues and interpretation and prophecy in your church services. Don't let somebody that's not uh, uh, even saved define what you should be doing in your church services. Crazy. And I'm going to pray the prayer of healing at the end of this. Yeah, it's important that your kids, my wife's saying, ask your kids what they believe and why. It's important they know. And that's why I do broadcasts like this, so you'll know what you believe. So divine healing. That's right. James 5 is the command to the church. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church who will anoint him with oil. And the Bible says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. That's a command. Is any among you sick? If there is, get to a a spiritual leader that believes in divine healing, let him anoint you with oil, lay hands on you, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. Show me one person that came to Jesus looking for healing, and he said, well, actually, God has given you this to teach you a lesson or to help you be a stronger, but no, he always treated disease, he always treated sickness as an enemy and destroyed it. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Oppressed of who? The devil. Oppressed of who? The devil. It was God that healed. It was the devil who oppressed. And that should stir your faith. Believe in divine healing. Lay your hands on the sick. Stand for divine healing. Stand for the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit. And then finally, and I know that there's there is some possibly some uh, difference of belief on this, but there shouldn't be uh, for what I'm praying, uh, preaching to you today. There shouldn't be difference on this. Final thing I'll tell you is that you should take a stand for what you believe on the coming of Christ as a Pentecostal. And of course, it's one of the things in Bible doctrines that we're dealing with. It's the rapture of the church. There's some today that we call it the blessed hope, but there's some today that even deny that the rapture will ha- take place, that only the second coming of Christ will happen, but no rapture of the church. You can't believe as a Pentecostal that you have authority and dominion over the devil and that you've been freed from sin and are not set aside for a rat for wrath, as the Bible says. We are not those that have been set aside or uh, prepared under wrath. And knowing that the tribulation The time of tribulation, seven years, where God pours out judgment from heaven. You can't believe that that's for you as a believer. If Christ already took your punishment, what would God be doing punishing you again? You didn't reject Jesus. You didn't reject his blood. You didn't reject his power. You received him as Lord and Savior. He died for you, and by faith, uh, by grace through faith, you receive salvation, and you are now exempted from judgment. So what business do you have going through any part of the tribulation? You have no business, no business going through any part of the tribulation. Remember, people say, well, you know, I'm a mid-trib believer because, you know, the real wrath doesn't start till the second half. It's all the wrath of God. Just the fact of allowing the Antichrist to rise up and take power is part of the wrath of God. And, the, and the, uh, the event that actually causes the start of the tribulation is that the Antichrist makes a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That is part of the wrath of God. I won't be here for any of it. So listen, I'm encouraging you to understand these things. And here's why. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture 
because I'm filled with the power and authority of God and knowing there's never a time that the spirit of Antichrist could have power and authority over me and that I'm not set aside or destined for wrath of any kind, that we're leaving this place and we will be gone. We will be gone. Well, what's the importance of believing like that? It Because as a Pentecostal believer, I still believe in the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus. Do you know there's no signs that precede the rapture of the church? Jesus said, I'll come like a thief in the night. I'll come like a thief in the night and take my people. So the, a thief doesn't let you know when he's coming. He doesn't leave you a post-it note on the door. T- tomorrow at 3 a.m. in the morning, I'll be back to your house to steal your flat screen. You know, if you could help me take it out, I got a bad lower back. If you could help me load it in the truck. No, they come when you least expect it and take. Jesus said, I'll do that. There's no sign that precedes the rapture of the church, but there are many signs that precede the second coming of Christ. And the reason we preach on a pre-tribulation rapture, of course, we believe that it has the best evidence from scripture. If you want further study on that, buy a book called The End by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. The End by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Great teacher, great preacher on end times Bible prophecy. But the reason that we believe, and of course it holds the most scriptural weight, a a pre-tribulation rapture. But we also believe that we've got to live holy before Jesus comes. We must live holy. We've got to obey the word of God. Don't listen to the lies of this hyper grace teaching that's being spewed out all over the world today, that you can live however you want and it doesn't matter, that you can just do whatever you want and God still is going to. No, God said that we've got to live according to the word. We've got to live according to not the end, like the, the King James word, the end, I should say. The end is the name of the book. The end. Live according to this world. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Without holiness. You know what Jesus said in the book of Revelation? Showed up to the churches of Asia Minor. And you know what he said? He said, you don't love me like you once did. And he said, return to the way you used to do things and repent. And he said, if you don't, I'll come back here and remove your candlestick from among the churches. That's judgment. That's judgment for what they did, their deeds, their works. These were already Christians. These were already uh, believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He's saying, I know your works. I know your deeds. You preach like this and you get people jump in the comments. Well, brother, it sounds like works to me. Sounds like you don't believe in grace. No, once you get saved, the Lord expects some works from his children. Read the book of James. That's what it's all about. Faith without works is dead being alone. God wants us to live in obedience to his mighty word and stay ready for the rapture of the church. And that's why we're we're to be ready at any time, at any moment. If he came today, I'd be ready to see him. If he came during this broadcast, I'd be ready to see him. Why? Because we're living ready. We're living with the thought process. He's coming soon. I love what my uncle Tiff Shuttlesworth, who preaches Bible prophecy often. He said, I believe Jesus is coming so soon. I won't even buy green bananas from the grocery store. (laughs) But it's true. We're living like he's coming today. We're preparing for the future, but we're living like he's coming today. Don't be a fool. And like, you know, live every day like he's coming in such a way that you don't have any plans in wisdom for the future. 
you know, I'm still, you know, it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a savings account. It doesn't mean that you should sell everything you own and be ready to leave tonight. It doesn't matter, mean that you shouldn't leave, leave a, an inheritance to your children's children. It doesn't mean you shouldn't keep being faithful at work or at school. Don't do those foolish things. You know, pr- live like he's coming today and plan like he's not coming for a thousand years so that at any time you'll be ready to see him when he comes. Are you Pentecostal or what? The question I'm asking today, are you Pentecostal or what? Do we believe in the power of God? Do we believe he's coming soon? Do we believe he's a divine healer? Do we believe he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? Do we believe we carry power over the devil? And if we believe it, then we should live like we believe it. And something like this crops up in the world. Don't be the one that's jumping on Facebook and putting all these uh, fear reports on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, jumping on fearful like everybody else. Don't do that. Believe in the power of God and live like you believe it. Good question. Kristen says, will those left behind be able to accept Christ during the tribulation? The answer to that is, if someone had the opportunity to be saved before the tribulation, they will not have an opportunity to be saved during the tribulation. The Bible teaches that, where Paul writes to the Thessalonian church and says that what will happen is that the Lord will pull a veil or allow them to be deceived by what's going on because they purposely rejected the, the truth. And so they'll have almost a veil of deception pulled over their eyes because of the fact they rejected the truth. And so it's important to live like he's coming today. We need to believe in the power of God, stand for the power of God, and know he's not just my uh, power, my baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's my healer. He's my protector. He is my shield. He is my buckler. He is the one who puts a hedge of protection around my life. Are you Pentecostal or what? Believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Practice it. Divine healing. Believe he's coming soon. Believe you've got power over the devil and act like you do. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Only believe. That's what Jesus said to Jairus in Mark chapter 5. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. So I'm going to pray for every person that's watching. Of course, we're coming back tonight. If you don't know, every single night we're doing these spirit of faith sessions to build your faith. And of course, I was working to build your faith today, but to build your spirit of faith in a time where everybody's screaming crisis, it's a time where your faith should be rising. Your faith should be being built by the power of the Holy Ghost. So tonight at seven, we're doing that. We're coming back to build your faith by the power of the Holy Ghost. But there's many of you that said you needed prayer. You're believing for healing, believing for deliverance. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and woman that's watching today, those that need healing in their body. I lose healing virtue even now by the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, make them whole in Jesus' name. By your mighty power, by your Holy Spirit, touch every man, touch every woman. I command sickness and disease to leave their body. I command depression and anxiety to leave their mind. Suicidal thoughts have to go. Cancer cells have to shrivel and die under the fire of the Holy Ghost. We give you all the praise and glory, Lord, because it is your power and your power alone that makes this possible. Nobody else can get the glory. No man, no doctor, no hospital, no government gets the glory for what you are doing. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. If you believe that prayer and receive it for yourself, put some hands in the comments and let me know that you are praising God with me, knowing it is done in Jesus' name. It is done in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Shout amen where you're at. Even if you're at work, shout amen in your cubicle. Maybe they've shut your work down, you're at home. Shout it in your house and let the Lord know you believe it and you're saying, so be it unto me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take a step of faith today. Step up and sow a seed. One of the things Pentecostal people believe is that God is a provider. Our God is a provider. He is Jehovah Jireh the one who provides for us. And how does he do it? How does he put us in the place of supernatural blessing? He does it by the system of seed time and harvest. When we sow a seed, God honors that covenant and sends harvest back to us wherever we are. And our faith to step out and sow the seed is what opens up the windows of heaven and allows him to pour out blessing that we don't have room enough to contain. I'm believing. I've never changed my confession since last year. 2020 will be our year of violent increase and expedited favor. It will be your year of violent increase and expedited favor in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You will not go backwards. You will not decrease. You will not lose out. You will increase. You will move forward in faith and you'll be added to, not taken away from. In Jesus' name. For the Lord is watching over you. He is providing for you. And I'm loosing it today. I'm praying for every one of you that supernatural means of provision will come upon your life. Thank you, Nicola. Let, let me give you a, a testimony of one of the things that happened to me when I was still living in, in uh uh, in Virginia. And by the way, if you're sewing, you can use hashtag donate if you're on Periscope or Facebook. If you're on YouTube, you can't do it. Uh, you've got to use miracleword.com or one of the apps, PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, uh, to sow your seed. And we encourage you to partner with us. I was sitting in my house recording a video just like this before we did live streams. This is back when I would just record videos for YouTube and upload them. And uh, I was doing a video. It's still up. You can go watch it. I don't know if uh, if Tiffany can put up which video I'm talking about, but it was a video on the on how God has a plan to bless your family and uh, and provide for you. And um, I'm sitting there recording it, and as I'm talking about the fact that God will send people to bless you, I mean God did this as an object lesson for me, and I'm sitting there preaching and teaching on God will send people to bless you. God will send people to bless you. As I'm saying that. Sitting in the front room of my house, my doorbell rings. And I had to stop the video camera and go up to answer the door. It was my neighbor. He said, hey, hey, Brother Ted. He said, uh, this, this guy just came down our street. He was selling meats. And uh, in one of those trucks with the frozen, the, you got the frozen section in the back. He said he had a special going on that if I would buy a whole package of, of his assortment of meats, then he would give me a whole second package for free. And he said, so I did it. He said, but man, I don't have room for two packages. He said, I felt to give you the second package. And there it was. It was filet mignon wrapped in bacon. It was ribeye steaks. It was New York strip. It was chicken wrapped in bacon. It was seafood. It was shrimp. It was fish. It was all of this meat, a huge, huge crate of meat. And I hamburger patties. I mean, everything. 
So I'm bringing them all into the house. Like I had no, no money went out for me. It's just like God, as I'm teaching about it, God's sending people to bless me. I start bringing it all into the house. I'm putting all the frozen stuff on the counter. We're getting ready to put it away. And I get ready to go sit down and do the next portion of the video. And the door goes again. I get up from the couch and go, he's like, man, let me tell you. He said, <laughs> his wife was like kind of irritated. He said, you know, our freezers at the house are so filled up. Even our garage freezer, man. He's like, we got no room for this. He said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the whole second crate too. He said, we don't have room for it. I, can't, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I can't, I can't even take it. We took the whole second crate of all the food into our house and put it in the freezer in the garage and the freezer in the kitchen. And it was filled. I mean, we, I don't know how long it took us to eat all that meat, but it was filled with provision as I'm teaching about God sending people to bless you. God sent people to bless me and he'll do the same for you. He's a provider. Our God is a provider. So we want to say a big thank you to every person that's stepping out in faith and sowing your seed. Let me give you a big announcement. That's really cool. Those of you that have still hung on, even though we got into talking about a scary offering, which scares people away from the broadcast. Uh, cool announcement, huge announcement. Easter's coming up. And uh, we've got for the Miracle Word kids, all parents that are watching, check this out. We have a new uh, box for the for the Miracle Word kids. Check it out. Some new, new, some new things here. This is the new Miracle Word kids Easter box. And uh, you can see inside... Of course, we have your choice of t-shirt for the kids. And then, of course, we have some candies, a journal, slap bracelets. The Easter story uh, is in there. But check this out. Can you guys see uh, in the back right of each picture, we just produced brand new Miracle Word Kids uh, cups for your kids. So it's the hard plastic cups with the screw top and the... Uh, the matching straw that does not come out. You know, it's got the little piece at the bottom that keeps it from coming out. Uh, but our, our slogan for Miracle Word Kids is printed on the cups, strong, smart, and set apart. So there's blue cups for the guys. We've got pink cups for the girls. And uh, we're putting those together in uh, the Easter boxes. And so uh, we want to make those available to you for upcoming Easter. If you're doing things for your kids or grandkids, this would be the perfect Easter gift uh, for your kids as we're coming up on, on Easter very quickly. Um, and of course, you can see all the things that's in there that I just mentioned. It will be a huge, huge blessing to the kids. If you want to check it out, I want to encourage you to go to miracleword.com and go to the store. If you want to go directly to the store, you can type in shop.miracleword.com. Shop.miracleword.com. Let me put it in the comments so that you guys have access to it. There it is. Shop.miracleword.com. And those Easter boxes are available now for all the kids. And I believe they're available and can be purchased today, beginning today. With, no, they're not paper straws. Oh, my Lord. They are not paper straws. <laughs> I hate paper straws with everything on the inside of me. Uh, but those are those are really great. And you can go to shop.miracleword.com. They're available now for purchase. Um, the description will be in the store of everything that's in the box, what choices you can make between what t-shirt, uh, what color cup you'd like, uh, that kind of stuff. So go check it out. 
Uh, it's going to be a great blessing for the kids. And we're doing more and more for your children. I'm in the process of getting ready to write um, fiction for your kids. We're going to make music for your kids. I got all kinds of stuff planned. It's very, very exciting. So uh, join in with us at MiracleWordKids.com. If you haven't, download the free resources and get your kids involved with the mighty word of God. I'm so excited, man. Tonight's going to be powerful. Every night at seven, we're doing the Spirit of Faith sessions and you're not going to want to miss it. Every time we release a session, we're adding it to the Spirit of Faith playlist on YouTube so that if you wanted to, you could just binge watch through all of the Spirit of Faith sessions. And uh, of course, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do so. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. Caleb said, I'd th- Jesus would throw the tables if it was offered a paper straw. Uh, so go, don't forget tonight, YouTube, subscribe. It's going to be awesome. I'm telling you what, I'm going to, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the broadcast today by playing that song one more time. I love that song. I'm a Pentecostal. And so enjoy it one more time. Have a phenomenal day. And I'll see you again tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time. For those watching in other countries, that's New York City time, 7 p.m. I love you guys. Have a blessed one.
Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.